welcome back to the Therapy for Real Life podcast. I'm your host, Anna Lindbergh Cedar. Today we get to talk about one of my favorite parts of being a therapist. It's the fact that a big part of our job is translating research and evidence about how to improve your life, whether that's in relationships or mood management or learning a new skill such as mindfulness, we help folks understand what the research says could be helpful for folks in similar situations like their own. So that means that we have to stay up to date. And part of my job as a therapist is I'm always looking for resources to help me translate what we know about coping and self-care resources in a way that actually helps people understand these concepts. Sometimes when you read psychological journals or clinical research, it can feel a little bit uh, cold and clinical and overwhelming. So I love it when I find resources that help me translate therapy concepts into everyday self-care strategies. And in fact, if you listen to the show, you know that's our central aim, to make self-care and burnout prevention concepts accessible to everyone, everywhere. Which brings me to my topic for today. I'm going to tell you my favorite books that I like to recommend in therapy. And I'm going to squeeze in as many book recommendations as I can in this episode But if I find that I can't fit them all, I have a hunch that I won't. Um, Or if you find it useful, I might just have to do a sequel episode to this podcast. So just let me know if you like book recommendations and I would be happy to give you a second list because I'm sure I won't fit them all here. So settle in and Feel free to take notes if you want to, if you hear a book that might interest you. You'll find a link to all of these book recommendations in the show notes. So you can also just make yourself comfortable and settle in and and listen to find out what you might be interested to learn more about. Now that you've settled in, I can tell you about some of my favorite books to recommend as part of the therapy process. I've made a long list for you, but I swear that I haven't put them in any particular order, except that these are the books that came to mind when I thought about the ones that I most frequently recommend. And while the list will tell you a little something about me and my therapy style, They're not in um, a ranked order in terms of preference. Although I will admit that the very first book that came to mind when I think about books that I like to recommend in my practice and out actually, when I think of books that I recommend to friends and family members, I definitely think of the book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. And what I love about this book is that Lori Gottlieb has a journalism background 
and she knows how to tell a story and set the scene. And she's also a therapist. And in Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, she tells the stories of four clients navigating the therapy process, four clients that she is seeing as the therapist. And then, of course, Lori has a turn of events. It happened in her own life, and she goes through a breakup. And she goes to therapy with one story in mind of what was going on. Uh, She tells that story um, in a pretty funny way, in in relatable way. Um, And she talks about how it was to go through the therapy process as a therapist. And she talks about going through many of the very same challenges and um, different ways of thinking about problems that we go through when we get perspective from another person. So initially when I read the book and actually I got to interview Lori on this podcast and meet her in person, which was such a pleasure, I felt like the book was perfect for me and it was almost like I can't imagine anyone who would love it more than me. And yet the last year has proven otherwise because the book has become wildly popular. So I'm really happy to see that. And I think it says something about our culture and our readiness to understand the real benefits of therapy. So this book would be perfect for anyone who's thinking about trying therapy for the first time and really curious to hear more about the ins and outs. Anyone thinking about recommending therapy to a friend, new therapist to the field, old therapist to the field, someone going through a breakup, anyone interested in how therapy works. And on top of that, I would say this would just make for a really pleasurable beach read. So it's kind of hard to imagine who who wouldn't enjoy this book, but you go ahead and try it for yourself and tell me if you uh, if you agree or not. The next person who comes to mind as my favorite author to recommend in therapy is Brene Brown. And actually, I would recommend anything by Brene Brown. She is everywhere, which is great. She has a Netflix special. She has one of the most popular YouTube videos of all time. She has many books. And my favorite book of hers to recommend is called Dare to Lead. And I love this book because she does us all a favor by summarizing all of her previous work in this book. So if you're interested to hear about her other books and explaining her research on shame and what she describes as the power of vulnerability She summarizes that in this book that focuses on workplace dynamics. So those of you who follow the podcast or know me in person know that I specialize in burnout prevention. And so I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, especially this book, because she applies a lot of relationship research, shame, 
confidence building research into practical skills that we can all use to set boundaries and communicate our needs in everyday relationships. So while Brene Brown's main superpower, in my opinion, is translating academic research into everyday lessons that we can all understand, she brings with her a sense of humor and relatability and really humanizes these experiences that not very many people talk about when it comes to feeling ashamed or isolated or lonely in everyday experiences of stress and overwhelm. So I often recommend this book to folks who are trying to learn assertiveness skills in the workplace, better understand their own core needs or areas of flexibility, and are looking for practical ways to communicate those needs to other people. So you can start with the Dare to Lead book, which is available as a book or on Audible, and I know that Brene Brown also has a bunch of practical worksheets available in the toolkit that she offers as part of her online component. So she offers a lot of different ways to get access to these ideas about practical ways to assert yourself in the workplace. to do nothing by Jenny O'Dell is next on my list of favorite books to recommend in therapy. Jenny O'Dell is a San Francisco Bay Area based artist who who tries to create this idea of making something out of nothing in her artistic work and has released this book How to Do Nothing to explain her process and her way of thinking about the world and her use of time. And what I like about Jenny O'Dell's book is she puts together a pretty cohesive argument about what she calls today's attention economy. And she explains that the last frontier of capitalism is our attention span and makes a pretty convincing argument that that our attention has become commodified and in fact people are jockeying for our attention all the time, our likes, our approval, our dollars. And in today's political climate, with all of the harmful choices that we have in front of us, Jenny O'Dell makes the argument that sometimes doing nothing is the ultimate act of radical resistance that any of us can do. I really enjoyed her point of view. And in fact, she makes a lot of different arguments about this idea of how to do nothing that I think will sound familiar to mindfulness practitioners, combined with this modern understanding of how difficult it is to stay grounded in our environment. 
One of my favorite chapters from this book is a chapter in which she describes this idea of geolocating oneself in one's environment. She talks about whenever she goes to a new place, she looks up on a map and learns about the natural estuaries and rivers and and birds in that environment and pays attention to her surroundings in what I would consider a very mindful way and has a very interesting way of thinking about the control that we all have over our attention and makes a compelling argument for all of us to think very carefully about how we want to use or you might say spend that attention but again that's kind of hinting at that commodification of our attention span. So I thought it was very thought-provoking and challenging when we think of this idea of burnout prevention and what it's for and whether it's for the sake of productivity or whether there's something even more integral or holistic that we might consider when we look at the costs and benefits of how we use our time. How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Some of the resources on this list and books that we'll talk about are fun themes to talk about in therapy or thought-provoking or might bring up relatable topics for, for an individual. Others offer really practical guidance on self-care tools that you can use outside of session. We all know that therapy is expensive, whether you're talking about dollars or the use of your time. And it can be really stressful to wait for your next session. So my next book recommendation is for folks who want a really powerful tool set that they can go to to improve their mood quickly. And this is the book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. This is a classic text for anyone who wants to learn the the fundamentals of cognitive behavioral therapy, which explains that we can change our mood and we can motivate behavior by encouraging self-talk, encouraging motivation. We all know what it feels like to beat ourselves up or be hypercritical, and sometimes that can even be productive in a way but it comes at that personal cost and, and just doesn't feel very good. So you can either read the book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself, or for folks who know that I'm such a big fan of podcasts or anyone who's short on time, I'm going to recommend a podcast episode that actually summarizes what to say when you talk to yourself and gives you a little preview of some of the techniques that they use in that book. And the reason I'm recommending that podcast episode is because the two co-hosts from this show, which is by the book, they live by the book for two weeks. And then in the episode, they 
they tell you their recommendation of whether or not they think this book could be useful for you. They do this with a number of different books. And one of my favorite episodes is their episode in which they both live by what to say when you talk to yourself. And sometimes you read a book like this and it feels like, oh, sure, that sounds like it could work, but actually I don't know if I would actually do it. And so I really love their their self-disclosures and what they share because they they go pretty deep and both of them share some of the nasty things that they say to themselves about themselves the hurtful things that that we all say to themselves they share really personal examples of that so I think that that episode is a wonderful um pairing to go with the book itself and so if you're a big reader you might tend more towards the book if you want to hear other people debriefing and sharing their reactions to the book you might feel a little less lonely in some of your reactions and enjoy hearing other folks um, whether they're struggling or in this case they're telling you wow this was really effective for us spoiler alert they, they really liked the book as well so I hope you do too. The next book recommendation will feel like a long time coming for fans of dialectical behavior therapy and its treatment developer, Marsha Linehan, because she finally released a memoir called Building a Life Worth Living. And I have really enjoyed this book and would recommend it to anyone interested in learning about the personal journey that Marsha went on that led her to the rigorous and research-backed development of dialectical behavior therapy. And her story is one that she kept fairly private for many years until she released um, quite the self-disclosure in a New York Times article in 2011 that she explained she felt called to do um, out of an ethical obligation to her clients to share her story and explain all of the things that she has done over the years to build a life worth living. I think it's a really inspiring memoir, and being the good teacher that she is, Marsha manages to sneak into the memoir a lot of these wonderful tidbits of education about dialectical behavior therapy. So if you're interested in learning about DBT or curious to learn what are the strategies that are so effective in that therapy, you will hear her describe uh, some of those strategies, including bio-mood hacks, which she calls the tip skills, and effective communication skills, which she calls dear man. And it's really fun to hear her talk about the developments of these skills. I think you'll just be inspired to hear her personal journey and the obstacles that she's had to overcome. And anyone who identifies with mental health struggles and mental illness will also perhaps be inspired to see all the things that Marcia has managed to accomplish in her career 
for the benefit of really millions of folks around the world. So that memoir is called Building a Life Worth Living by Marsha Linehan. The next two book recommendations are for all those individuals who feel so overwhelmed and stressed that they just don't know where to get started to get organized. In fact, this is when folks might start to ask questions like, do I have ADHD or attention deficit disorder? Now, whether or not you do meet criteria for ADHD or an attention deficit disorder, or you're just overwhelmed with stress in your life and you would like to get back on track, the next two books could be helpful for, for you. The books Driven to Distraction, Recognizing and Coping with Attention Deficit Disorder by Drs. Edward Hollowell and John Rady, and the sequel book Delivered from Distraction, offer a comprehensive set of tools that you can use to help you get organized and understand ways to keep your attention on track. Now a lot of times when people first come to me and ask about ADHD or or um, how to be more productive and how to stay focused, the first thing we'll do is just look at their schedule um, overall, sometimes people are telling me I can't stay focused, I can't pay attention, and they're also telling me they're working 70 or 80 hours a week. So I actually don't know how you could pay attention uh, for 80 hours straight in a work week. You're going to need to learn those other skills like balance and burnout prevention to help you do that. But if you are working within a reasonable schedule and keeping those boundaries and still having a hard time, you might relate to uh, some of the skills and techniques that you will learn about in Driven to Distraction and Delivered to Distraction. Check it out for yourself and let me know what you think. Okay, let's move into relationship books as we work our way down the list of recommendations. The next book is one of those books that contains a concept that becomes so contagious that you've probably heard people talk about it in the pop culture. This is the Five Love Languages book written by Gary Chapman and he describes the five love languages as the secret to love that lasts. This is another one of those books that they lived by on the Buy the Book podcast and is one of the first ways that I heard about it. And when I heard about it on that show, I was interested to hear that the partners of the folks who were reading the book said that this was their favorite book uh, to experience the benefits of because both um, the reader and their partner said that they were able to better understand each other's needs and learn how to speak each other's love languages. So that was very interesting to me. And what I've found since recommending it to folks is that some people do go ahead and read the book and find that helpful. 
other folks go online and take the five love languages quiz at fivelovelanguages.com, other folks just get the concept right away and get the benefit just out of understanding that in of itself. So if you read the book or take the online quiz, you're going to learn about what Gary Chapman calls the five love languages, which he describes as words of affirmation, acts of service, giving and receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. I love giving this assignment as homework in therapy because folks tend to get it right away and a lot of folks go home and share it with their partners and find that it clarifies things for each other. Oftentimes we get stuck when we're trying to show our appreciation for other people. We might be speaking a love language that's really meaningful to us, but something gets lost in translation because maybe they're actually waiting for you to tell them how much you care about them or appreciate them in a totally different way. So I've heard people talk about this and oftentimes folks say that they have perhaps a top one and two love language that they really enjoy speaking or receiving. And it might be worth thinking about that for yourself, which love language speaks to you and how to communicate those wants and needs to the people around you. And then turn the conversation around and invite them to share right along with you. I've heard lots of interesting reactions to this book. So take a look at the five love languages and think about it. See if this teaches you something about the way that you like to give and receive love and appreciation. Okay, continuing in our relationship themes of my favorite books to recommend in the therapy process, I'm about to tell you about a couple of books that pair really nicely together. And when I say that, I really mean it because the authors of the next two books are actually married to each other. John and Julie Gottman are two psychologists that are world-renowned for their relationship research. John and Julie Gottman did something really smart, which was they started by interviewing the relationship experts. And who do the, you think they thought of as the relationship experts? These are folks who've been married for a very long time, and not just for a long period of time, but they say happily so. And what John and Julie Gottman, who happened to both be psychologists and married to each other, did for the next several decades was follow and track these couples and see what their best tips were. And then they back researched that against other couples and found seven predictable skills and behaviors that couples either do or don't do 
to predict relationship success and satisfaction, or what they call relationship demise, which could be separation or divorce or a poor quality relationship. So these two books are really great introductions to the wide body of research that John and Julie Gottman have developed over the years. And in fact, one of my favorite things about the first book recommendation, which is called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, is that it kind of makes me laugh every time I open the first couple pages because right away, John Gottman makes really clear that you could read this book and skip a whole bunch of couples counseling. So sometimes I have folks come in for couples counseling and they say, hey, wait a second. Uh, we can learn everything we need to know in this book. And I say, that's right. If you're really, really motivated, you can self-teach yourself a lot of these skills. So when I work with folks in therapy, a lot of folks are ready to study ahead and learn as much as they can outside the therapy process so that they can integrate it into their, to their real lives. So I highly recommend The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, a practical guide from the country's foremost relationship expert by John Gottman, along with Nan Silver. And the, the next book that goes right along with that is Julie Gottman's book, that she writes along with John Gottman called Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. And this book is excellent for any couple starting out or trying to deepen their connection by having conversations about what matters most. So John and Julie Gottman guide you through these important conversations and give you thought-provoking questions and considerations that you can share with your partner. I love both of those resources because they include a lot of practical tips and suggestions that any of us can use and teach ourselves along with our partners if we are simply willing to do so. I've already mentioned some of my favorite books when it comes to relationship building skills, but I have to mention one more because I haven't found a better book when it comes to evidence-backed research for sexual health and intimacy than the book Come As You Are by Dr. Emily Nagoski. Emily explains that while this book is mostly written for a female audience, anyone could benefit from reading it. And I agree. Come As You Are offers the best synthesis when it comes to medical science, psychological research, and relationship skills to better enhance and understand your love life. Come As You Are covers such important topics as attachment style when it comes to your relationship, how to not yuck each other's yums when it comes to sexual identity and exploration, and how to cope with difficult experiences like trauma and self-esteem when it comes to building intimacy with your partner. 
What I love about Come As You Are is it is open and affirming for anyone to read, and I think you will learn a few things from reading this book. And it also comes with an accompanying workbook, which makes a lot of the lessons that you will learn from this book even more practical and thought-provoking. So Dr. Nagoski will ask you to think about all of the messages you've received in your life, whether these are medical messages, moral messages, media messages, and think for yourself um, to find out what makes you feel most comfortable um, and empowered when it comes to your sex life. So these are skills that you can practice on your own or share with a partner. I'm a really big fan and I hope you enjoy it as well. The next two book recommendations are dedicated to those folks who are not satisfied with just focusing on self-care when it comes to burnout prevention. That's because we all know that stress and burnout is fueled by systems of inequality and oppression that surround us. So to help my clients cope and better understand some of the racist and sexist and homophobic implications of the world around us is to better understand some of the tools that we have to make sense of this. I often recommend two books to help in this area. One is called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin D'Angelo. And the other is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. Both of these books in their own unique way point to the systems that are around us and what makes it so difficult for those experiencing double and triple forms of discrimination to break through and experience that inequality. When we talk about burnout prevention, oftentimes we're talking about struggles that go beyond just the individual person. Um, And we have to look broader to our environment. White fragility, gives us a language to understand the incentives in place for folks that benefit from white privilege to keep things exactly the way they are. They might not even be aware of some of these invisible forces that keep that privilege in place. How to be an anti-racist explains that while racism today is one of the most offensive insults you can throw at someone, there are very few folks who are likely to step up and admit to racism. What this book offers us is a new definition to help us understand the effects of racism and how to combat it. And the book explains that racial inequality is not a problem of bad it's a, it is a problem of bad policy, not of bad people. 
And the author explains, here's a quote, that being an anti-racist requires persistent self-awareness, constant self-criticism, and regular self-examination. And what this book explains is that any of us can act in a racist way, and any of us have the capacity to be anti-racist in our actions. So while it makes sense that no one would want to identify as a racist, we do all need to invite a process of self-awareness to look at our own actions and notice where we could cause or suffer harm in our social context. So when I talk to people who are reading these books, a lot of times it gives them a new language to understand some of the experiences that they've gone through, and it helps them relate um, to other folks who are thinking about these problems and the systems that uh, we all navigate that either make it easier for us to manage our stress or actually get in our way. books that I've included so far have been for adults, but I think it's worth including a couple of honorable mentions for children books that anyone can read and get something out of. In fact, I'll often give a summary of one of these books when I'm meeting with someone just to capture the idea of this book um, because I think it's so wise. This book is called The Old Turtle by Douglas Wood, and it tells a very old tale um, that goes a little like this. There was a time when, back when the earth was born, the truth, the book says, was all in a white little ball, a little sphere. And something happened, the book says, and the truth was broken into a million little pieces. And the villagers who lived there at the time found those pieces of the truth. And they each looked at their piece of the truth. And you know what? They thought that that was the whole story. They thought that was the whole truth. And as the book explains and the story goes on, it took them quite a while to figure this out before they realized that each and every one of them had only a piece of the truth. And in fact, they had to put their stories and wisdom and knowledge together in order to see the whole truth. This is a story I'll often share with individuals as they're going through a situation that just doesn't make very much sense or they know something's wrong and they don't know exactly what it is. And it reminds me of some of the mindfulness concepts that we talk about in therapy in terms of holding a non-judgmental stance and trying to see things as they are. I find that story really helpful uh, to shake up our point of view on things. The other children's book that helps us understand very grown-up themes is called The Invisible String by Patrice Karst. This book was recommended to me as I was looking for a way to help 
um, a small child deal with grief. And this is the book that someone had recommended to me, and I think it's really excellent. It's an excellent way to cope with grief or being far away from someone you love. And basically this idea of the invisible string is explaining the idea that we're all connected, whether we're close or far away, um, even in times of death and grief, we're connected by this thing that Patrice calls the invisible string. And one of my favorite lines from the book, there's a child in the book who asks, uh, if the string will be broken, if you're too far away or if you're angry, and the mother character in the book says, no, the string is stronger than even anger and it cannot be broken. I love this book. I think it explains some really challenging concepts like loss and disappointment in a way that we can all understand. So I think it's worth reading whether you're a kid or a grown-up. The Invisible String and The Old Turtle. Well, as I look back over my list of favorite books to recommend in therapy, I realize I've left you with at least 15 or 16 book recommendations for you to draw from. So I know I haven't covered everything. There are classic therapy texts that I didn't include, such as The Body Keeps Score or Feeling Good or Full Catastrophe Living. So I'll have to come back another day to talk about those and my other books to recommend in therapy. And I also welcome you to send me yours. Is there a book that you recommended to someone or someone recommended to you that made you feel closer and connected to other people going through similar things as you or a book that helped you learn a new way of thinking or a self-care or relationship skill? I would love to hear about it. Feel free to email the podcast by emailing therapy at annacedar.com or visiting the therapyforreallife.com website to check out all the therapy and self-care resources available to you there. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Did you know that Therapy for Real Life offers burnout prevention hackathons for the workplace? I'm your host, Anna Lindbergh Cedar, and I'm happy to announce that Therapy for Real Life now comes to your workplace to offer therapy concepts adapted into self care strategies that you can use on the job. As you know, Therapy for Real Life is a Bay Area based burnout prevention counseling program. But now you don't have to participate in the therapy programs to learn what happens in therapy. If you're a listener of the Therapy for Real Life podcast, you know that I'm a big advocate of teaching people the strategies that work for them to manage stress, burnout, anxiety, and depression in their lives. Not everyone can make it to therapy. Managers and HR professionals are well aware that stress is at an all-time high in the workplace. 
Wouldn't you like to equip your staff with self-care strategies to help them manage stress on the job? Therapy for Real Life's burnout prevention hackathons give staff a fun and interactive way to learn research-backed self-care strategies on the job. As your facilitator, I will come in and present relaxation strategies, cognitive coping exercises, and examples of mindfulness that your staff can pick from and practice in the workshop to see what works best for them. Teacher staff and coworkers not only ways to take care of themselves on the job, but create that culture of self-care and teamwork together. Find out more about hosting a burnout prevention hackathon at your workplace by going to therapyforreallife.com and selecting the workshops page or emailing me directly at therapy at annacedar.com. That's therapy at A-N-N-A-C-E-D-A-R.com. I look forward to being in touch. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.